Matthew chapter 1. I want to echo what Kevin said earlier, really looking forward, having had a great, hopefully all of you had a great Thanksgiving week, looking forward to the next few weeks here at our church as we move into this Advent season. Looking forward to next Sunday, one service at 10 a.m., correct, Kevin? If you come at your normal time at 11, then uh, you'll get the finale, and uh, that'll be about it. But we want you to be here at 10 next week, 10 a.m., looking forward to the choir leading us in worship. Also, Thursday night, come as well, see it twice, bring a friend. I'm excited about all the hard work they have put into it, and I'm looking forward to being led in worship by them. I look forward to so many things during this season. There's so much nostalgia to it. Thinking about our, uh, our children doing their Christmas time together. I remember doing that when I was growing up. In fact, I remember um, I have great trauma from being in the Christmas play growing up uh, in, in my life. I remember being the pastor's kid. The target was on my back. They knew they could ask me to do anything and I had to do it. And so every time that would come, the first, especially that first time that would come, we would have that first meeting where they would sign the parts. And so I would go in every time with my best moo or bah, trying to be the cow or the sheep. I felt like that was a safer bet for me to be the cow or the sheep. And, and, and if anything, I did not want to be Joseph. I mean, my goodness, at seven years old, I don't know what it's like to be married to a woman. And, and so that idea that I would be center stage walking up there. And if any of y'all have seen those children's plays, you know, in church, they're always so, so great. And my favorite one is whenever Joseph takes off and leaves Mary behind, you know, and that kind of stuff. And I'm fearful. Is that what I'm supposed to do if I'm Joseph? Well, sure enough, that first time I go, they give me the part of Joseph. And so now I don't know what to do. Am I supposed to hold her hand? Am I supposed to be nice? Am I how am I supposed to handle this situation? All of my buddies are there at practice and they are mooing and bang. They're the sheep and the cows. My dream role has been lost and taken from me and now I am center stage, I feel like, only to have the relief come in whenever the director walks up to me and says, hey, I got some news for you. I hope you're not upset about this. Joseph has zero lines. And I'm like, upset? This is actually sounds great. I said, what am I supposed to do? Walk in and smile. And so ultimately, Joseph, who which I thought would be the worst case scenario as the guy, right? But turns out to be the best one in the Christmas play. Joseph has no lines. As one of my friends says, the cows and the sheep are more important than Joseph. They get to boot, moo, and buy. Joseph just stands there. And so ultimately, I thought that was the perfect spot. And there's some truth to that, and there's some not so much truth to that as well. When we read God's word, true, Joseph never speaks. When you read the text, he never says a word. You don't hear him say anything. We, we find Joseph in Matthew's gospel taking center stage, but he never has a speaking part. He never responds verbally to anything that happens. But that doesn't mean that his role is not vital and important and a lesson for us. And so this morning, as we look to Matthew's gospel, 
Matthew lets Joseph take the center stage of telling the story of the birth of Christ. Having set up through the genealogy, through the promise to Abraham, to David, walking through that, showing Joseph in that line, now Matthew begins to tell the story of the birth of Christ. And he does so from the perspective of Joseph. So if you will, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 18, follow along with me there to the end of the chapter. Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Jesus. Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this season. We as a people, by all means, have so much to be thankful for. And God, right now, may Christ Jesus be exalted in our time as he already has been. May he continue to be lifted up as the Savior who has come for his people to redeem them from their sins. God, may you be glorified in this moment, and may our hearts be drawn to you. In Christ we pray, amen. Matthew starts this, just as many of us may do at our birthdays of our kids, telling the story of how the birth came about telling the story of the day and everything that surrounded it. He begins by simply saying, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Now, here in verse 18, he's going to give us a synopsis of what happens, what takes place. He's going to tell us something that Joseph does not know yet. He says, the birth took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Here, Matthew begins with news about Mary, but he's quickly going to turn to Joseph to focus in. And notice what it tells us. It goes ahead and lets us know, here's how the birth went about. Joseph was betrothed to this girl, Mary. They had not consummated a relationship in marriage yet. They were waiting on that. And while they were waiting, Mary has become pregnant with a child that was given to her, conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. Already we have that information as the reader in Matthew's gospel. But Joseph doesn't know any of that. Joseph doesn't know that yet. Joseph, we find in our passage, faced, he's faced with a terrible dilemma. Now, it tells us some things here. Mary and Joseph were betrothed. Being betrothed is more than what we think of of being engaged uh, to be married. Uh, being engaged to be married usually for us is just simply asking, yes, I do, I will, and making a promise. 
Here, this was a legal and binding contract that had been made. In fact, the reason why we know this is because Joseph, who decided to do away with her quietly, was going to seek a divorce. This was a public statement. This was a public event. They had been legally bound together, betrothed together. Though their marriage had not been consummated yet, they are legally together by the government standards. And so this betrothal now has them there. And ultimately, this is not just about giving the ring back. Joseph has found out that this girl who he is engaged or betrothed to be married to is pregnant. This is very public. Everybody knows about this seemingly. They know about the marriage. They know about the betrothal. And before, before they could even have relations, she's found and conceived. This is a scandal. This is a scandal in their town. This is a scandal around for everybody to talk about. Mary's with child. The text tells us it's from the Holy Spirit. Joseph doesn't know that yet. So Joseph has to figure out what to do. And Joseph here, only thing he can think of is that she's been unfaithful. It's a nightmarish situation. Mary's reputation is ruined. Ultimately and finally, Joseph's family name is ruined. They're going to be the talk of the town. They'll never get past this. They'll never get over this. In this situation, what we find is that Joseph is in a terrible spot. But Joseph is told to us, the text tells us about Joseph's character. It says Joseph was a just man. This idea of being a just man is kind of a, a title. It's a descriptor. It's given to Zechariah and Elizabeth and Simeon in Luke's gospel around the birth narrative. It's the idea that he was righteous. He was one who trusted in God for provision in his life. He was one who trusted in the promises of God and, and, and felt as God's promises were best. So therefore, he followed after him. He did not try to do this on his own. He wasn't selfish in these ways. He was pursuing what God wanted in his life. He was a just man. And so ultimately, it's telling us of his character and nature. And that begins to come out. He was looking for the best option. He cared for Mary, obviously. He didn't want to, to make her publicly shamed over this. So in his mind, he resolved to divorce her quietly, his best option, so as to not shame Mary, which he could have done in his right, but to try to deal with this quietly so as to not bring shame or scandal upon her or himself and the family. Here, choosing this best option he was surely saddened, concerned, confused in all things. And in the phrase given here in verse 20, as he considered these things, as in his mind he's putting together, wrapping around what just happened. What just happened with Mary? What just happened in our relationship? How could she do? She didn't seem like this kind of girl. It didn't seem like this kind of thing. What just happened? As he considered these things, the Bible tells us that the Lord sent an angel to appear to him in a dream. A message came from the Lord. An angel appeared to him, and he addressed Joseph in this way. He said, Joseph, son of David. Now, there's no accident he said son of David. 
Obviously, Joseph's father was not David. He's pointing back to these, uh, this, this genealogy that you find here in, in chapter 1. This genealogy is not given to us just simply for reference point or just trying to, to book it and trying to prove something. This genealogy is given to us to testify that the God that is coming here in Matthew's gospel, the God that is sending his son Jesus, is the God who keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. And ultimately, we see that here. This, this gospel is seen in the fact that he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It was to these, Abraham was told that through your family would come salvation to all the nations. And David was told that your son would sit on the throne forever. Ultimately, this genealogy is setting the stage for the promises of God to be reminded of and to be fulfilled. And whenever he comes to Joseph and he says, son of David, he's reminding Joseph of his place in the promises of God. Remember the promises made to David. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to forget you. I'm going to send my king to you. Ultimately, he's calling him to remember. And Matthew's gospel sets the whole context of the birth of Christ in the promises of God. In those promises. So Joseph, seen in the line of David, seen as one who's an inheritance, inheritor of the promises. More than just blood relations, but the promises. As Jeremiah says, I will rise up, I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will rule wisely. Son of David, it's time, this angel says. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Here, he sets him at ease over the dilemma he has. How do I deal with Mary? Do I put her away quietly? Do I not? Deciding to put her away quietly, he comes up and he sets him at ease. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for she is with child. It's true. She does have a child in her womb for sure, but she has conceived that child through the Holy Spirit, the angel says. She's conceived that child through the Holy Spirit. And before Joseph could even process that, he says more. He says, more important than anything that you're doing, basically, more important than anything that's going on in your life, more fear than the scandal this may create in your town, more fear than the, the fear of, uh, of, of trashing your name and your reputation, the most important thing now is this child. He says, this is, this is it. And so don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for a son is going to be given to you. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. In our passage, in our passage, over the next two verses, there'll be two names given for this son that's coming. Two names that will be given for him, and both of which will not only tell us who he will be, but also explain what he has come to do for us. The first one he says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Jesus, the name Yeshua is what it comes from, literally means the Lord saves. And the Lord truly has saved his people throughout history. 
If you go back and, and remember how he has done that, you start with Noah and how he saved him with the ark going through the waters. You go in and see how he saved the people out of Egypt in the bondage of slavery. You see how he saved them in the wilderness by providing food and drink for them. You see how he saved him in the book of Judges from the enemies surrounding them by raising up a deliverer who will help deliver them. You see how he saved them ultimately over and over and over again from whatever calamity, from whatever oppression, from whatever difficulty they may find, the Lord saves his people over and over again. But this time, this time something different has happened, this angel says. He's not just simply going to come save you out of the bondage in this world. He's not just saving you from your oppressors of this place. He's not just saving you from starvation. He's not just saving you from, from uh, thirsting to death. He's not just saving you from any of those things. Now he's come to save you from your sins. Now he's come to save you from your greatest burden of all, the sins that you have committed that, that bear against you that you will ultimately have to pay for in an eternity, separated from God. He's come to save you from your sins. The mission of Christ is stated clearly. And as I've said often, this, my friends, is our greatest need no matter what you think your greatest need is, your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven. No matter what barrels down on you in this life, no matter what difficulty, no matter what struggle you were dealing with even now, your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven because it's your sins that stand between you and a holy God and it's your sins that ultimately will cause you to be condemned to an eternal hell under the judgment and wrath of a holy God, or if your sins are forgiven, you can have an eternal glory with Christ forever. Ultimately, it comes down to what are you going to do with your sin? And when we realize this, we come back and say, I can't do anything with it. This becomes the whole point. As God saved in the Old Testament, he's got to save again. As he raised up a deliverer in Moses, he's got to raise up another deliverer. As he brought salvation to us through the wilderness, as he provided for us over and over again, he's got to raise up one greater than Moses, one greater than the judges, one greater than David. And now, now the angel comes and says, he has done it. Just as he saved over and over again, he will save you finally and completely in Christ. He's come to save you from your sins. Your greatest need now has been met in this one who's to be born to you, Joseph. Echoing Psalm 130. I love Psalm 130. Echoing Psalm 130, we find this. I can only imagine Joseph himself singing this. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, my soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than the watchmen for the morning. O oh Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from there sins. Here the promise of Psalm 30 echoes throughout the history, the testimony of the fact that we are desperate for you, O oh God. We are in the depths and we have no hope but to cry out for you. And if you mark our sins against us, we've got no hope, but you, you will forgive us. You will wipe them away. We wait for that. 
The word here in Matthew 1 is telling us that the wait is over. Though God had spoken all of these promises throughout history, for some 400 years he had been quiet for his people between the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New. And now at the beginning of the New, in Matthew chapter 1, the angel comes and says, now God is ready to speak again. And this time it's not just from the prophets of old. This time it's from his great prophet, the one who will speak the truth and is the truth, the one who will bring everything, everything, and make it right again. Christ Jesus is this one. He is going to save his people from their sins. He will do it. He will do it. And it's time, the angel says, as he closes out that statement. Matthew, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that conceived the child in Mary's womb, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, as the scripture tells us, speaks to us through the word. And he says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The first name, Jesus, God saves. This second name, Emmanuel, which he doesn't want us to miss because he puts it in parentheses. It means God with us. To make sure we understand It means God with us. The Lord not only wants to save us from our sins, but he wants to be with us. God wants to give us his presence. He uses a passage here from Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7 is an interesting passage, and and sometimes it may be difficult to kind of see how it works, but maybe uh, without being able to spend too much time here, let me try to to get you to understand. Israel had a king named Ahaz. And Ahaz was an evil king. He didn't like God, he didn't care for God, he didn't want anything to do with God. And so Ahaz uh, had some trouble though. There was two nations that were bearing down on Ahaz and he didn't know what to do because he was confident that if he had his army that he could not defeat these two nations. So he had to find some hope in this. God who had delivered Israel throughout all of history, Isaiah comes to him and said, God is with you. All you got to do is trust in God. He can can even give you a sign. And Ahaz says, I don't want nothing to do with your God or with your sign. I don't want nothing to do with it. And Ahaz works out his own deal. Ahaz goes to Assyria. And Assyria, this large nation, he goes to Assyria. And when he goes to Assyria, he he says, hey, here's what I'll do. I'll give y'all some money. Y'all can come over here and fight for me. Y'all fight for us against these two nations that are warring against us, and we can win. And Isaiah says, don't do that. God is with you. He will give you a sign. I don't care about God's sign. I don't want it. In spite of the fact that Ahaz didn't want the sign or care, God still gave it. And he gave a sign through this woman. This child would be born. It is Emmanuel. This sign was given to you, Ahaz, to testify that God is with you. Even when you don't want it, he's here. He's here. Ultimately, Ahaz has sealed his fate. And sure enough, he was happy because Assyria comes over, fights against the two nations and puts them down. But his happiness only lasted for a moment because soon Assyria conquered and destroyed Ahaz. Ultimately, the reason why I believe this is here is kind of give us this context is to understand it. He's saying, Jesus has come. Salvation is here. God is with us. Whether you want him or not, whether you think you can work out this deal on your own, I am coming for you. 
I'm giving you my son to testify that I am with you. My presence is here. You can work something out for yourselves, but that's only going to lead to disaster. I am here. You don't have to look far and wide. I'm not hiding under some hot rock somewhere. There's no riddle to be found out to figure it out. You don't have to pay me any money to get me to fight for you. He's saying, I have come. I am here. Oftentimes, we're more like Ahaz, right? We think we can work the deal out on our own. We think we can figure this thing out in our own strength and in our own power. But ultimately, every single time, that leads to destruction. The Lord says, you don't have to do it. I'm here. You're trying to figure things out in life. I'm here. I'm with you. We often talk about needs and wants. And we try to figure out the difference between those two, right? I mean, Christmas is a good time to, to talk about the difference between needs and wants. And I've said many times, as I said before in this sermon, our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven. Jesus came to meet that great need. But I want to say something else to you that I firmly believe with all my heart. Not only does Jesus come to fulfill our greatest need, he's come to give us our greatest want as well. We may not realize it. We may think we don't need that. We may think we, don't, we, don't, we, don't, we can work this out on our own. But Jesus has come to fulfill not only our greatest need, but our greatest desire, our greatest want. He's come truly to satisfy us. In the midst of turmoil of this world, he's with us. In the world where there's no peace, not any peace outside or any peace even within our own hearts, God brings the peace. He is with us. If your desire is to be loved, even if you're fully known to still be fully loved, he says, I'm with you. I know my presence is here. I'm not leaving. I'm here. If you're longing for all of these things, if you're seeking purpose in life, trying to figure out what it's all about, Jesus, I'm here. Here I am. You don't have to look. You don't have to search any farther than me. I'm right here. God is with us. This baby born is all of our greatest needs and our greatest wants wrapped in one great gift from God. Jesus Christ, our Lord, God's only son. And how is this possible then? How can God meet our greatest need in having our sins forgiven, our greatest longing and desire, our greatest want in being with us with his presence? How can God be with us? How can he meet these needs? How can he give us these wants that we ultimately have? In the text, it tells us. It tells us that, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. What Joseph couldn't figure out is how did, how did Mary have this child within her? He says, the Holy Spirit has done this. This virgin has now conceived with a child. The virgin birth, like every other part of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his sinless life, his active obedience, his passive obedience, and that he never sinned, he always followed after God, just like all of those things are important. Without any one of those things, he's not qualified to be Savior. All of them are vital. All of them are important. In the same way the virgin birth is important. If the virgin birth is not true, then Jesus is not qualified to be the Savior we need. He's not qualified or fit to be the one that we want and long for. This is how God does it. This mystery being unwrapped for us. And I don't want you to think that I got all this figured out. What I do want you to know is 
What I do want you to know is that Jesus was qualified in every single way to fulfill the need we have of our sins to be forgiven. He's qualified in every single way to be the presence of God with us so that we can know him and be near him. Jesus is the answer to this. And the virgin birth is testimony to that. For in the virgin birth, we see a few things. First, we see that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's not half and half. He's not part one and part the other. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And that is the way that he can stand in the gap between God, uh, sinful man and a holy God. He can stand there in that gap because he knows us. And he knows who God is, and he is God, and he is man. And so therefore, he can stand in that gap. The virgin birth testifies to that truth, being conceived by the Spirit, placed in a mother's womb. The virgin birth testifies, and there's no other way for us to have salvation than the Lord to bridge the gap between our sinful selves and his holiness. But not only that, the virgin birth teaches us that Jesus has no inherent sin or guilt of his own. In other words, as, as it said, the angel says to Mary, this child shall be called holy, the son of God. And as we learn in the scriptures, it's through Adam that our sin is inherited and then we act on it, right? Born in sin and we act on it. But Jesus, born of a virgin, conceived by the spirit, did not inherit the guilt of Adam. Therefore, he is qualified to be the one that can bear the sins of others because he does not have to bear his own sin. Not only was he born without sin and guilt, he never sinned. And therefore, he can take the sins of his people upon himself and crush them and put them to death. He becomes the perfect sacrifice in this way. But not only that, the virgin birth testifies that salvation is from God alone. Sit around all you want to. You could never have conceived of so great a plan. Think of it all you can. The only way we can truly be saved is for God to send his son to us, born of a woman, conceived by the spirit, fully God, fully man, stand in the gap on our behalf, take our sins upon himself. That's the only way it could have been accomplished and God has done it. This child was placed there by God himself, just like redemption was in God's plan from the beginning, just like his desire has been to save his people from their sins. Now he's fulfilling that desire. And my friends, my friends, we are the recipients of this great gift that God has sent his son for us, born of a virgin, fulfilling perfectly all that is needed and required to meet our greatest needs and give us our greatest wants. Christ Jesus is the one. Christmas is a reminder that God has come in his son, Jesus. And in him, our sins can be forgiven and his presence will be with us. In a moment, Joseph received a message as he's considering all these things. The great dilemma, nightmare situation of his life. He received a message. Joseph, ready to move on with his plan, received a message from the Lord. And that message at one time comforted him. Whew, she hasn't been unfaithful. But then it stretched his faith. But really? The Holy Spirit has placed this child here? And then it challenged him. And really? You want me to help here? At one time, he was comforted. His faith was stretched. And he was challenged by God. 
In this one moment, the shattering of his hopes and expectations was the beginning of discovery of what his central purpose in life was. And quite often, I feel like we are in that place of Joseph more than we think. When we come to grips with who Christ is, the one that can save us from our sins, when we come to understand that he is God with us, our tendency still often is to try to be like Ahaz and figure out how to work it out in our own deal, in our own understanding. We're trying to be like Ahaz and figure out how we can do this and how we can do it, when in reality, we must be more like Joseph, who recognizes that in that moment, his central purpose changed. That baby that was born changed everything. Christ Jesus changes everything. And in Christ Jesus, all of the mystery and chaos and nightmare situation of his life becomes clear. And it all makes sense. God is doing something glorious here. He's saving us from our sins. He's coming to be with us. My encouragement to you today is don't consider Joseph this insignificant figure, but in fact, be like Joseph. For listen to what the word says. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Took his wife, knew her not just she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph didn't need the center stage. He didn't need a line at the nativity scene. Joseph didn't need any of that. Joseph had found everything he needed. And in his humble obedience, we can see a testimony for us of how we receive the good news of Christ Jesus. Surely it may shatter what we think our life would look like. Surely it changes everything, but it changes everything for the good as our sins are forgiven and the presence of God is with us. And so when we meet that child who becomes a man, who dies on a cross, who rose again, who reigns forever. When we meet him face to face, our response should be the same. That's all I need. He's everything I've ever wanted. And we humbly do like Joseph and follow him. That's my prayer for each and every one of us as we consider this Christmas season. And my prayer for you is as you look to Christ, you will find in him everything you need and everything you've ever wanted. And today, you may need to act on that. Your discovery today may be the fact that, that I, I haven't found Christ. I don't know. I have my need has not been met for my sins to be forgiven, and, and I don't know what it means to know his presence, and I want that today. All you have to do is accept this one who came for us as your Savior. Turn from your trusting in yourself and figuring out on your own and trust in this one who's given us everything. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Christ, for who he is and what he has done. God, you are glorious and kind to us in giving us, giving us Jesus. God, help every person in this room to know him, to love him, to recognize the greatest gift that's ever been given and to receive that gift today of Jesus Christ. May no one here leave without their greatest need being met in Christ, that their sins be forgiven. And may no one here leave, Father, without knowing your presence, their greatest desire being met. 
God, we ask all of these things, trusting in you to move in our hearts even now for your glory and for your name we pray. Amen. I'll be standing here at the front. If you need to have your sins forgiven in Christ today, I am here. If you want to know his presence, we're here to talk with you. If you want to join and be a part of our church as we gather together to work, we're here. Let's stand together and sing.